This is Sports Talk with Phil Cordblue, Chris Bergen, and Pat Daniel. Sports Talk is heard across the state on radio affiliates of the Sports Talk Media Network and is streaming live on SportstalkSE.com as well as Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. The South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number to call in is 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now, here are Phil, Chris, and Pat with tonight's edition of Sports Talk. All right, welcome in, everybody. Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network. It's a Tuesday night edition from Columbia. Pat Daniels back in the studio tonight. Chris Bergen will be joining us. He's at the ATL, Coastal Carolina, Georgia State, tomorrow night. Speaking of Georgia State, former Georgia State football coach Sean Elliott, now the running game coordinator, tight ends coach at South Carolina, met with the media this morning. We'll bring you some of that here at the the bottom of the first hour. Jason Donnelly, Furman's Athletics Director, will join us at 7.05. Big announcement at Furman today. No, not bringing baseball back. But they are going to spend a bunch of money renovating Timmons Arena for the basketball programs at Furman. But we'll talk with him about that and some other things going on up his way. Looking forward to having him with us. Mike Foster from the South Carolina Football Hall of Fame joins us about 7.20 to talk about their uh, announcement of the uh, top college football player in South Carolina, the winner of the Blanchard Rogers Trophy, Xavier Leggett from South Carolina, plus their new Hall of Fame class, which they announced recently. And then at the bottom of the hour, we'll talk about Daytona yesterday and what's happening in Atlanta coming up this week and things at Darlington. Josh Harris, president of Darlington, will join us. So it is a very, very busy edition of Sports Talk. Plus, we've got baseball everywhere. We'll update the scores for you in just a moment. We'll have our nightly dose of recruiting as well. Your phone calls, 888-898-2525 is how you can join us tonight here on Sports Talk. And we also will keep an eye on what's happening in college basketball. Got some Big games coming up tonight around the country as well. So it's a busy, busy program for you. Again, the phone number, 888-898-2525. Let's go ahead and update what's happening in baseball. I just left Founders Park a few minutes ago to make my way over here to the studios in downtown Columbia, watching South Carolina and Winthrop go at it this afternoon. And uh, the Gamecocks and the Eagles, it's now in the top of the sixth inning. South Carolina is leading Winthrop by a score of 8-2. to two. Winthrop does have second and third and two men away. South Carolina scored two in the second, three in the third. Winthrop came back with two in the fifth, and then the Gamecocks answered with three in the fifth. And we've had some home runs in this one. Causey homered for the Gamecocks to left field. That was a two-run homer. And Lee Croy homered to left field for the Gamecocks. That was a solo home run. And that is it for the home runs. On the mound today for South Carolina, you've had Copper, who started. He went four innings, allowed a hit. He did walk three. He struck out two. Williamson came on, pitched a third of an inning, gave up a hit, a couple of runs, walked one. And Good, 
has come on. He's gone an inning and two-thirds. He's allowed a hit. He has walked one. No runs allowed at this point. Meantime, up at Clemson, uh, Clemson and Presbyterian locked up in a tight one. It's 3-2 to two Tigers as they play in the bottom of the seventh inning. Clemson took the early lead in this one. Tigers went up one nothing. PC came back with two in the third, and Tigers tied it with a run. Bottom of the third, took the lead in the fourth with a single run. Now they lead it 3-2. to two. They're in the bottom of the seventh. Clemson has one out, runners on second and third. And Gordon started for the Tigers, obviously on a pitch count. He went a couple of innings, allowed uh, no runs, uh, struck out two. He walked two. Allen came in, went four innings, two hits, couple of runs, a walk, couple of strikeouts, and then Darden is on now for the Tigers, and he's gone an inning, and he has struck out two. And Tigers have a home run from Canarella. That's their lone home run. He's got three hits on the day. Canarella, preseason All-American, batting 588. 588 at this point. Of course, we're only three-plus games into the season, but still 588 is 588. Tigers need Will Taylor to get going. He's now batting 091. He's 0 for 3 today, batting in the second spot. And they need him to certainly get going. They're hoping that he will since he's been now uh, focusing strictly on, on baseball and not involved with football any longer. Okay, and then we've got uh, we've got Coastal Carolina playing today as well. And we'll update that game. They're playing UNC Wilmington after losing 2 of 3. Over the weekend in baseball at the beach, they are hosting UNC Wilmington this afternoon, and the Chanticleers are leading 4-1. to one. They're in the top of the seventh inning. Wilmington took the one nothing lead in the top of the third. Then the Shots put a four spot on the board in the fifth, 4-6-1 and one for Coastal, 1-3-0 and oh for Wilmington. As far as anybody hitting the long ball, nope. And the Shots have drawn five walks to go along with their uh, six hits this afternoon. O'Neill started. He went three innings, three hits, one earned run. He walked five. He struck out five. Carbone went three innings, struck out three, no hits. And Fluky, I guess it's pronounced Fluky, he's gone a third of an inning. He's allowed no hits, no runs, and he has struck out one. And we'll and update other scores as we go along. Is it pronounced fluky? It is fluky. Yes, it's it no is. fluke that I got it right. <laughs> that is the voice of Chris Bergen, who comes barging in from Georgia State. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. And I'm going to make a prediction. If Cam Canarella hits 588 for the season, he'll be the Golden Spikes winner. I would say so. <laughs> I would say so. Are they still buzzing over there about the loss of Sean Elliott? I don't think so, but I did uh, get a greater perspective as to why he wanted to leave here and go back to Columbia as we were sitting in the bus in dead stop traffic on I-20 today at <laughs> yeah. 3.30 in the afternoon. I mm. got a pretty good gauge as to why he didn't want to be over here anymore. And I thought he gave a very eloquent press conference today, and that's unusual for Sean Elliott. You don't, you don't put eloquent and offensive line guy in, yeah. in the same mix, but I thought he handled it awfully well. And I'm glad you asked him the question about the timing, and I thought he made a perfect, perfect point about it. He said that the Georgia State people were behind this move for him. They understood. 
And what did he say? He had bought a, a truck back in 2021, a brand-new truck, and he already put over 100,000 miles on it because of the amount of commuting. I tell you what, you got to tip your cap to him. Not only was he taking care of business here in Atlanta with his football program, but also was being an extremely good dad yeah. to drive back and forth and watch his son and his daughter compete in athletics. I don't know anybody else that would have taken that on the way he's handled it the last seven years. So you've got to applaud him. And just listening to him talk today sort of reminded me why South Carolina fans love this guy. He loves USC. It's fairly obvious. He's always enthusiastic. I mean, he fits the mold of an offensive line now, I guess, tight end and run game coordinator. And mm-hmm. I think uh, Shane Bamber probably found a, a really, really good replacement. I, I, I've got more respect for him after listening to him today detail what he dealt with for seven seasons. And he's right about Georgia State. He just doesn't get a whole lot of support over here. I mean, this is a – you know this, Phil. You, you've got family here in, in Atlanta. This is a Georgia town. It's not a Georgia State town. And when they play football, if they get 5,000 fans for their games, it's a big deal but they just don't draw well. They play in Turner Field. It's not a good setup for football. So there are a lot of reasons why he wanted to move back to uh, to Columbia. And I think first and foremost, as you pointed out today, was family. Yeah, we'll hear from him coming up. And you pretty much covered it, but he made it clear. It wasn't NIL. It wasn't transfer portal, though he pointed out they had lost 22 players the last two seasons to the portal. So that hurts. But it was the family thing. He's got a son who's a football player at AC Flora. He's got a daughter who's in competitive cheer at AC Flora. And I know that road well. You do as well at I-20 between here and Atlanta, back and forth, back and forth. He probably knows every pothole there around uh, exit uh, 172 there at Thompson, uh, just like I do. Um, and it, it's mind-numbing. It's a mind-numbing ride, and, and he's done it a million times. Mm-hmm. And – he had no plans to make this move. He was going to go ahead and gut it out the way it was. And all of a sudden, this opportunity came open for him in Columbia. Shane Beamer gives him a call to kind of feel him out. I, I'm sure they had talked previously about, hey, if something comes open, blah, blah, blah. And he makes the phone call, and it was like, huh, this is my exit. This is, And nothing was going to hold him back from taking this opportunity. Plus, you know, he didn't take a major pay cut. And South Carolina is paying off some of his buyout at Georgia State. And he can exhale a little bit because it's not all on him now. He just has to coach his tight ends and work with the offensive coordinator and maybe work with the offensive line and recruit his tail off. And like you said, it's a state and a school, even though he didn't go to South Carolina, it's a school he grew up rooting for, I believe, as a kid over in Camden and having worked at South Carolina previously and having great success, he has very strong feelings for the place. So it's the right it's the right fit and it turned out to be the right time for him. It might have looked messy to the outsiders, you know, leaving your team two days into spring practice. I know there were harpoon artists out there sticking it to him across the country over that. And I get that. There's there's never a good time to leave your team if you're leaving on your own volition for something else. But Anybody with a heart would look at that situation and understand totally what he was doing and why he was doing it. And in fairness, Phil, I was one of those guys. When I looked at the situation, I thought the optics looked terrible. You did harpoon him, as I yeah, recall. I, I you was are a harpoonist. You're, You're a harpoonist. exactly right. Yeah. And <laughs> after listening to him today, I changed my opinion. Because if the Georgia State people are behind that move, it's hard for anybody else to criticize him. 
And considering what he's done over the last seven years just to go back and forth and back and forth is remarkable. And to be able to maintain the family side of things, you know, coaching takes a lot of time, uh, clearly takes a lot of time. And he pointed out how much he's still trying to be a dad here in Atlanta and we've got family in Columbia. I just I gained a lot of respect for him today listening to his press conference. But it's kind of hard, you know, when you think about what he said regarding the transfer portal and them losing 22 players off a Georgia State program that, that needs every single one of them to compete in the Sun Belt. And then it coincides with an article that you retweeted today from Yahoo Sports where they were talking with Southern Miss's head football coach and also Jamie Chadwell at Liberty about the gap that continues to widen between Georgia State's of the world, the G5 programs and the Power Five, and how much I, I thought Jamie Chanwell's comments about, you know, if we play a freshman, we realize this is probably the only year hmm. we're going to have him yeah. because he'll leave immediately. And I don't see how you can continue this model and be able to have two separate levels of FBS football because they're not the same. They may say they're the same. They may offer the same amount of scholarships, but they're not the same. Yeah, you're exactly right. And it can't continue, and I'm sure that it's going to change as we go through the process, just like today, the uh, news came out that the college football playoff uh, committee directors, or whatever you want to call them, that panel, they now have formalized the playoff structure. So it will be the top five ranked conference champions, okay, from the from the Power Five. Or how many powers we? I mean, we have it left. Was it Power Five, Power Six, whatever it is? I mean, leagues we end up having Power Four. Um, well, it's got to be five. Five conference champions, the highest ranked ones, advance uh, automatically, and then you have seven at-large picks, and those will be picked regardless of conference. So there's no limitation within a league as to how many you can have. And it will be based on the committee's rankings, you know, not the AP ranking or anything like that, be based on the committee's ranking when they have their final ranking, you know, on their selection day. So total of 12, five automatic bids, and seven at-large bids. So, I mean, again, it's going to allow a lot more people in, and it's still going to create questions at the end because they'll be wrangling over who should be that seventh team getting that at-large bid. Anytime you got the human factor in there, it's going to be arguments. There's going to be finger pointing. There's going to be um, a lot of um, second guessing. But it, then again, that's always been the case for college football, and that's what's made college football so popular over all the years. Whether you were picking a champion with a vote at the end of the year, or selecting two, or selecting four, or now selecting twelve, college football still. I mean, it still needs those conversations, doesn't it? It still needs those disagreements. It still needs those arguments to keep it lively and keep it uh, a little bit separate from the pro game from that standpoint. Well, in college football is not alone, Phil. We'll have the same argument, same discussion in March when Selection Sunday's announced and whoever did not get in feels like they got snubbed. I mean, how long did we talk days after the Selection show was done about whether or not Clemson should have gotten into the tournament last year? So uh, college football not alone. I did find it interesting, and it's a point Pat brought up several year, several weeks ago when the Pac-12 fell apart. Are they still considered a Power 5 conference with the two remaining members that they have? If that is indeed the case, where in the world is the group of five, which I saw a lot of people saying, well, good, they finally got an automatic bid. 
I, I don't know if that's the case. I mean, is the Power 5, excuse me, the G5 going to get an automatic bid, or are they going to be one of those five conference champions, or are they going to have to fight for an at-large berth? And if that's the case, I can't see any group of five team getting in over an SEC or a Big Ten team. Can you? Well, here's the, here's the actual wording of the layout of the plan, the format. The four highest-ranked conference champions will be seated one through four, and each – will receive a first-round bye, while teams 5 through 12 will play each other in the first round on the home right. field of the higher-ranked team. Now, mm-hmm. Notre Dame, because of their independent status, cannot be ranked 1 through 4, so they can never get a bye in their current state. As long as they remain an independent, they cannot be ranked 1 through 4. So the very best, they'll have to be a number 5. When you think about it, I guess the trade-off is they don't have to play for a conference championship. Exactly. Exactly. They can re- maintain their independent status if they're good enough. Mm-hmm. They'll be one of the top 12 teams, and they'll be seated between 5 and 12. And the team ranked number 5 will host number 12. Number 6 will meet 11. Team 7 will play Team 10, and Team 8 will meet Team 9. The quarterfinals and semifinals will be played in the New Year's Six Bowl games, and the national championship game will continue to be a neutral site no conference will qualify automatically, and there will be no limit on the number of participants from a conference. And this was a unanimous decision by the college football playoff board. So I, ha- I find it hard to believe, unless they end up you know, inside the top ten, for a team like Liberty this past year, Tulane, you know, Coastal Carolina at some point in time, I, I find it hard to believe that this is this road has made it easier for them to get into the college football playoff than it was before. Well, I mean, um, the only team to make it to the college football, have, have we had a group of five team make it into the playoff? Cincinnati. Yep. Cincinnati did. They're the only ones, I believe. Okay. When TCU made it, TCU was in the uh, the Big Twelve, right? When they made it, correct? TCU, yeah. So yeah, last year, yeah. So so Cincinnati's the only one, huh? Offhand, I would need to double check, but off memory, that's the only one I can think of. And and while you guys were talking, I was doing a little research here because I found it interesting. I did not know the Notre Dame part until reading through this. Yeah. But of the eleven members today, so those that voted, if I'm reading this correctly, it was unanimously approved. That vote was being held by the 10 FBS commissioners and Notre Dame's president, Reverend John Jenkins. So it was unanimous. So that means Notre Dame's president voted in favor of this, knowing with this vote that his team, his football program, would never, under these rules, would be ineligible to ever be one of those top four so as to ever get a bowl. A couple other interesting points here. So it looks like the top four teams get a bye, and then the higher seed teams host that first-round game at home or, this is a key part, or at a venue of their choosing. So say you're Georgia Bulldogs. Now, yes, I think we all know they would play in their home stadium, but hypothetically, they could go play in the Falcon Stadium. Mm -hmm. Or Clemson could go play in the Panthers. Like Whatever. You could have teams choose to not play in their home stadium, which I don't know when that would happen, unless maybe it's a group of five team that perhaps wants to play in a larger venue. Like Maybe it's somebody that only has a 30,000-person stadium and they want to go play in a 60-person NFL stadium, that's all I could really think of to increase revenue because, let's face it, this is all about money. Another interesting point here, I don't believe there will be as much of an argument made 
fighting between the 12th seed or the 13th seed, like, oh, this team didn't make it to the top 12. Maybe I'm wrong. But I think the bigger argument here we're still going to have every year is that fifth team being left out of the first round by. True. That's going to be the big yeah. debate now is, yeah. is everybody's going to be clamoring for that and how do you determine who's that four seed and who's the Florida State that's now not getting a bye like we saw this year. The, the difference, of course, now being not getting a bye instead of missing the playoff entirely. Yeah, good point. Excellent point. All right, Clemson with a five spot in the seventh, up eight to two on Presbyterian now. So the Tigers getting hot. And let's see, they have um, in the seventh, Purify has homer. Oh, it's a grand slam yes. for the Tigers. That's three grannies for them, right? Array this yeah. season, two in the opener, and then one today. That's three grand slams for them. Coastal's up five to one, bottom of the seventh. South Carolina extends its lead to nine to two, bottom of the sixth. They have the bases loaded and two men out. And uh, let's see if Gamecocks have done anything from a going deep standpoint here lately. Uh, no, not since uh, Lee Croy hit his home run. And uh, let's see what else we've got going on basketball tonight. Tell you what's going on there. Tuesday night means good basketball. Tennessee plays at Missouri, 7 o'clock on the SEC Network. Syracuse at NC State on ESPN2. By the way, I got home Saturday night, all right, after the South Carolina game, wanting to watch Clemson and NC State, and it was on the CW, and I could not find it to save my life on DirecTV. Really? I checked every channel you know i just thumbed through every channel and the cw never showed up if anybody knows where the cw is on direct tv what that channel number is let me know i couldn't find it so i miss i mean i couldn't find the game i had to follow it on um, i mean i could have streamed it on my laptop or whatever but i wanted to watch it on the big screen mm-hmm. couldn't sure. find it couldn't find it you have the cw down your way I do. It's uh, I think it's the ABC affiliates in Myrtle Beach, WPDE. I think it's their alternate channel. So it's like channel five or six on Spectrum uh, cable. Mm. So couldn't find. Yeah, it. that's that's odd. Couldn't and find. That's it. not good. I mean, from the Atlantic Coast Conference's perspective, you don't need to be putting games of that magnitude, especially as as big a deal as that game could potentially be, especially for NC State. That game doesn't need to be there where no one can find it to watch it. I mean, it could have been my fault. It could have been my fault. I don't know. I've got DirecTV. I've got, you know, all kind of channels. I can watch the Yes Network. I can watch uh, Madison Square Garden Network. I couldn't watch Clemson basketball. I wasn't happy. Uh, Boston College. Duke, North Carolina is not going to be on the CW, though, anytime soon. Hmm, I would imagine not. <laughs> Boston College at Florida State. Arkansas at Texas A&M. Pitt at Wake Forest. And uh, that's it for teams in our league by the way how about the college of charleston last night getting win number 20 and now putting themselves in position they got to win their league but being talked about in terms of the brackets of being in there is about like a 14 seed but from a one bid league they know they've got to win their conference tournament Mm -hmm. and the cougar baseball team off to a 4-0 start after a win yesterday all right let's see what else we got here and our phone number 888-898- 2525, a couple of other things to mention for you tonight. Uh, talked about Furman announcing major renovation to Timmons Arena, and their AD is going to join us here uh, at uh, 7.05. He's joining us tonight. Uh, major renovations, Timmons Arena, something that's been needed for a long time. They're going to actually turn it into a basketball venue. 
And the artist's rendering is awesome in looking at it. Man, beautiful, beautiful um, painting, I guess you would say, or rendering of what this thing sure. will look like when it's done. And that'll be awesome for Furman. $40 million donor-funded renovation to transform Timmins Arena into what they say is a state-of-the-art facility to enhance the game day experience for Furman basketball fans. Scheduled to begin in April of 2024, which means they're going to have to play most of their games in 24-25 at the well in downtown Greenville, which isn't, you know, that's not a bad deal. Not a bad deal. It makes you leave campus, but not such a bad deal doing that. So we'll get more on that from the AD when he joins us at 7.05. USC announced today that the men's basketball game March 2nd against Florida is going to start at 12 and be on ESPN, which is good for everybody because it was going to start at 1, and the baseball game with Clemson at Segra Park is set for 4. Now this gives you another hour between games. So that's great. 12 o'clock tip, ESPN. Could be a huge game for South Carolina. And then the co-player of the week for the women, Camilla Cardoso from South Carolina SEC Co-Player of the Week. We'll be back. Going to hear from Sean Elliott. Take some calls as well. Be back in just a moment here on Sports Talk. Welcome back, everybody. Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network here on a Tuesday night, 888-898-2525. That is our phone number to reach us, 9-2, South Carolina over Winthrop, bottom of 7, 8-2, Clemson leading PC after 8-7-1. It's Coastal leading Wilmington, uh, Wilmington, Wilmington, Coastal over Wilmington, 7-1, top of the 8th, and a few other scores. Georgia beats Georgia State 15 to nothing. And uh, we've got, let's see if we have any other state games here. Citadel, Charleston Southern, they're scoreless. They're in the fourth inning. And uh, let's see, let's see, that's that's about it. Uh, North Carolina 7-5 over Elon. Sixth inning, Alabama 3-1 over Middle Tennessee in the sixth. Tennessee 3-2 over Asheville. They're in the seventh. Moorhead State leading Kentucky 5-0. There in the eighth, Greensboro over number one ranked Wake Forest, uh, bottom of the eighth, and it's 4-3. Number one ranked Wake Forest hanging on, trailing 4-3. Uh, What's take that a few. you gave her the Citadel real quick? Scoreless, Citadel Charleston okay. Southern. I've got an update, actually. Okay. Bottom of the sixth, the Citadel is up 15-2. to two. Okay. That one changed a lot. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, I, I, when you said that, I thought, wait a minute, I thought I saw that Citadel scored a couple of runs early. They scored four in the first, four in the second, and put it away with seven in the third. Ah. Well, I'm just using the 
the the baseball scoreboard that I always use, and they've sure. got bottom of the fourth. No, maybe nobody's reporting to them, and they just threw it up there. <laughs> Evidently not. But they got because bottom of the fourth, uh, no score. Now, you sure yours is right and mine's wrong? I, I'm on the Citadel uh, website, which transitioned over to the live stat broadcast from Charleston Southern. So mm. I'm guessing Charleston Southern didn't put it up there trailing their rivals 15-2. to two, Yeah. Unless they had to. Uh, Austin P is leading Mississippi State three to one. Boy, that program, Mississippi State, they're two and one. But gosh, had they taken wow. a dive since they won the national championship? It's just, it's just amazing. Okay, uh, we'll take some phone calls and then we'll hear from Sean Elliott, Triple H, eight nine eight, twenty five twenty five, and Bradley. Is it Bradley B? Bradley B in Darlington. Hello, Bradley B. Welcome in. What do you say there, Colin? What do you say? What do you say there, man? Y'all doing all right? Is that we're, we're, we're doing great. How are you? Chris, Chris, you know who I am? You don't remember Carowinds? Oh, yeah, man. Good Chris to hear Burgess. from you. Uh, good to hear from you. Long time no hear. Listen, yes, it's sir. Channel 16 on direct. It's Channel, it's channel 16 on direct TV. <laughs> channel 16? It's, it's, it's the 16, yeah. Channel 16. It's the one right after. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's the CW4. Uh, around here, around for for Direct TV satellite. So whatever hmm. WBT is, is it's right after that one. So yeah, that's one reason why I was calling. Another reason why I was calling was, you know, I know Clemson Clemson basketball has been had their ups and downs this year. Just want to get y'all guys take on. You think they're going to make the tournament? Or you think they're going to do like they did in the NIT last year? And yeah. I'll just say, good to hear from you, Chris. By the way, my daughter's a sophomore the now, but yeah, wow. so. We're doing all good. Yeah, we're doing That's all good. here. Was, yeah. All right. We'll see y'all later, man. Thank, Thank y'all. you, pal. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Uh, you know, Clemson is, in my opinion, I don't think they're a sure thing either way. I think they could be in. I think they could miss it right now. I don't think they're a lock by any means. I don't think South Carolina's a lock by any means. I think they still have work to do. Uh, beginning tomorrow night at Georgia Tech, that loss at home to NC State was – from the standpoint of just getting another win on both the overall ledger and the ACC ledger, I mean, it's crucial. And they let it slip away. So now they got to go play a Georgia Tech team that stunned them at home, is not a real good team, but is capable. Georgia Tech's had the strangest year, right? They got really good wins and a bunch of bad losses. So you, you can't take them for granted, especially playing at the pavilion there in Atlanta. But you look at you know, you look at some of their wins. They've beaten Duke. They have um, they've beaten um, – well, they beat Clemson when Clemson was going well. They beat North Carolina when North Carolina was ranked third. They're coming off a win over Syracuse. They beat Mississippi State. Um, yet, they lost to UMass Lowell. Um, they have lost to uh, a pretty bad Florida State team, but that was down there. They um, lost to a bad Notre Dame team. They got some bad losses. Yeah, they do. But they got a handful of good wins, so you don't really know what to expect with these guys. Well, and the problem that you have with them, if Clemson were to get swept by them, Phil, that would fall into the category of two really bad losses. You're talking about a team that's below 500, is 4 and 11 in the ACC. But as you correctly pointed out, they're an entirely different team at home than they are on the road. Seven and six here in Atlanta, one and eight away from home. So if you if Clemson does not show up to play, and they they should be upset. I would think both South Carolina and Clemson need to come out 
Gamecocks on Saturday at Ole Miss and, and Clemson certainly tomorrow night here in Atlanta against Georgia Tech. They need to come out and play with some desperation because the Tigers are in the situation. They can't afford two losses to Georgia Tech. One's bad enough, but you can't get swept by these guys. Yeah. Meanwhile, Joe Lunardi this afternoon, looking on his Twitter, he came out with his updated rankings and kind of conference breakdown. And he said this is today before the game's coming out tonight. And he has the ACC with four bids, as he is saying, is in are in, and then six bubble teams. He still has Clemson in as a five seed, as yeah. the third highest rated team in the uh, in the ACC. Meanwhile, South Carolina, he has them sliding down to a seven seed, and now as the fifth rated team coming out of the SEC, who he has the SEC having nine bids with zero bubble teams right now, with the final one being Ole Miss in that last uh, last team in. So the four he has for the ACC are Duke, North Carolina, Clemson, Virginia. Virginia. And the Virginia just had an ugly loss the other night. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the ACC still has not rebounded in basketball no. to become what they used to be. When the, when the SEC is doubling you, you're the ACC, and the SEC is doubling you in projected tournament bids. Chris, what does that say? Yeah, it's a long way from the 80s and 90s and 2000s when the Atlantic Coast Conference was the dominant force in college basketball. I I still think I agree with some of the coaches that the the league may be a little undervalued. But, yeah, when when you watch a team that's supposed to be one of your top flight teams like Virginia go in and just lay an absolute egg last night like they did to Virginia Tech. Uh, and if, ironically, we want to talk about uh, good wins. That that win by Virginia Tech last night probably helped South Carolina in the grand scheme of things since the Gamecocks beat Virginia Tech early, early on in the season. Absolutely. All right, Chris, we're going to cut you loose. I think you're heading off with the basketball team. I am. They're, they're shooting free throws, which is the uh, final thing they do every day at practice, so they'll be wrapping up here shortly, and we're going to go out to dinner. And I will talk to you guys right back here, same spot tomorrow night, you so got right it. before the game. Chris, final, final thought for you, just looking at this Coastal Carolina game, and it looks like uh, this freshman player, fluky pitcher, in two mm-hmm. innings of relief work tonight, six strikeouts in two innings. Not, not half bad for, mm-hmm. a, for a freshman out there for your shots. No, he's been terrific so far for them. And the one thing about Coastal, and it's going to be a question mark, I think, as the early portion of the season goes along, if they can get pitching to go along with the offense. I mean, they're not going to score 26 runs every game like they did in the opener, but they've got an offense that can put up eight, nine runs without batting an eye. And if they get enough pitching, they're going to be an awfully, awfully talented team. I, as I think we mentioned a couple of weeks back when the season was getting going. Uh, we're in good shape, I think, baseball-wise in, in South Carolina if everybody stays healthy. And if Coastal can get their pitching, I think they'll be right there in the in the mix with the Gamecocks and Tigers to host a regional. All right, buddy. Talk to you tomorrow night. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, guys. Clemson Enjoy. has finished off Presbyterian 8-2. to two. Tigers hold the Blue Host to three hits. And as I mentioned, they blew the game open with a five-run seventh inning. Game was tied at uh, – it was uh, actually 3-2. Clemson was leading 3-2. It was 2-2 in the third. Clemson went up with a run in the fourth. They put five on the board in the seventh, had that grand slam from Purify. Tigers win it 8-2 to two to go to 4-0 and oh on the season. After the break, we're going to hear from Sean Elliott as he's back in Columbia working for the Gamecocks. He met with the media today to talk about everything we've talked about, coming back to Columbia, coming back to his family, leaving his team a couple of days into spring practice. Had to be a little difficult to do that, but he had to do what he had to do. Talk about it with him coming up after the break.
calling all turkey hunters. This is Major Billy Daniel of the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources. Turkey season is coming soon. The most common accident while turkey hunting is failing to identify your target. Know the identifying features of a turkey. Make sure of your target and what lies beyond it before you pull the trigger. Remember, safe hunting is no accident. For more information on hunter education, visit dnr.sc.gov. I'm attorney Jim Corbett. That's the sound of a big hit on you and your car or truck. I've been an attorney for more than 30 years, helping people who get injured in car wrecks and truck wrecks. If you have serious injuries, call Jim Corbett, 803-765-2968, or email me at jim at jimcorbettattorney.com. That's C-O-R-B-E-T-T. I don't get paid unless I recover for you. Jim Corbett Attorney, for your best recovery from a big hit, 803-765-2968, or jim at jimcorbettattorney.com. Hi, yes, uh, I'll have the club sandwich and house salad. You got it, sweetie. I'll throw in a pair of designer sunglasses as well. Um, just lunch, thanks. How about a week at my boss's oceanfront villa? What? When you join the South Carolina Education Lottery's Players Club, you get way more than you expect. More chances, more wins, and more surprises. Today's special, a trip to low Earth orbit in a private spaceship. Join the Players Club at seeducationlottery.com because more happens here. We are the NFHS. That stands for the National Federation of State High School Associations. But really, what we stand for, together with the SCHSL, are the 96,000 high school sports students in South Carolina. And so we stand. We stand for the runners, soccer, and basketball players. We stand for their coaches, administrators, and officials. We stand for the swimmers, football players, and wrestlers. We stand for the golfers, softball, and volleyball players. We stand as the national leader and advocate for high school athletics and all who participate in them and make them possible. Because it is our purpose to ensure that high school students get to play, perform, and compete together. To learn more about who we are and what we stand for, visit nfhs.org. This morning over at USC, Sean Elliott met with the media for the first time since returning to South Carolina as new tight ends coach and working with the running game as the run game coordinator after seven years as the head coach at Georgia State. Here's some of what he had to say. Well, first of all, I want to thank Coach Beamer, Coach Tanner, Chance. Uh, certainly an awesome opportunity to be back here in Columbia, South Carolina with the University of South Carolina. It's uh you know, to, to be honest with you, it, it almost seems like I, I haven't left. Um, uh, from afar and then from a near also, I've always kept up with the University of South Carolina, how they were doing in, in so many different ways. I believe everyone knows here that my family uh, still resides here in Columbia, so the transition from Atlanta back here to Columbia was very, very easy. Um, you know, when this position became available, uh, I targeted I mean, I, I, I reached out and – and wanted them to know that uh, this was something that that, that I wanted to do uh, for many reasons. But uh, ultimately, I think uh, for my family, uh, 
you know, the most important people in my life live here in the state of South Carolina in the Columbia area. My parents are still in Camden, and, you know, it was just a move that I, 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 I wanted to pursue and uh, very fortunate that I had the opportunity to be back. I'm looking forward to making an impact here on the University of South Carolina. Their players, their coaches, uh, everyone involved. Uh, I, I know I, I have the passion, and uh, I'm here to inspire and motivate and do everything I can to, to put this program right where it needs to be, and that's at the top of the SEC in the country. And uh, ultimately, that's what my, my goal is. Uh, you know, I was, as I was looking and, and coming back here, I, I started, you know, thinking, you know, uh, about – Really personal goals, uh, to be honest with you, and it really doesn't have a whole lot to do with football. Uh, I said, man, if I can coach at the University of South Carolina, and I've got my son, he's a high school football player at AC Floor. I said, if for whatever reason he can develop into a college football player and have the ability to come and play for the University of South Carolina, and my my daughter, she's a competitive cheerleader at AC Floor and does a phenomenal job. She's won multiple state championships. I said, but one day. You know, if I could if I could be coaching on that sideline, potentially coaching my son at the University of South Carolina and my daughter cheering on that sideline, I said that's a that's a dream come true. And I have no idea if that's the case, but honestly, uh that would be something uh for me as a person and, and a family man and a dad and uh just unbelievable experience. But uh love the opportunity to be here. Can't wait to get started. Been started a couple of days now and uh looking forward to many more days ahead. Switching over to tight ends, you know, yeah. what's that that challenge like? Uh I know obviously it's a shorter group of people or a smaller group of people, but what's been the biggest challenge of switching from O line so many years to tight ends? Well, I think you're just involved in, in so much more of the passing game, you know, the route combinations, the concepts, uh, you know, that's one thing. Oh, I'm not gonna call it a challenge because I've been around football my entire life and I actually started my offensive coaching career coaching the tight ends at Appalachian State and, uh, and loved every minute of it. I think as a tight ends coach, it, it really it, it, it makes you involved in everything uh, through the course of the offense. You, th- you throw game, you run game, you're just so much more involved uh, in everything that they do offensively. Uh, I've always said, you know, if you, you ultimately want to be one of the greatest coordinators, you've you got to have that concept, the pass and run game, and understand the combination and how it works together. And, you know, play calls and what sets up this. And uh, this gives me the ability to be really back in that fold. And, uh, you know, as a head football coach, I always had uh, kind of the responsibility of overseeing all position coaches. And I would kind of go over there and throw some of my time in with the tight ends, the O-line, the running backs, the quarterbacks. And uh, so I've had to experience all of that as the head coach. Obviously, there was a lot of national conversation when when you made the move. And with with all that that comes with college football coaching these days and all that general stuff. Can you address just that conversation and, and sort of what your take on, on maybe that aspect of it was and, and, and leading to, to you coming back? You're, you're going to have to fill me in on that conversation. Just, I haven't had that conversation. Yeah, sorry. As far as, you know, being a coach at, at a place like Georgia State when, when you have – have to fight to keep your players. If, really if you're talking balance, about, yeah. you know, uh, the NIL and retaining players and not getting, you know, a quote-unquote poached, and, you know, I, th- I think we lost uh, – yeah, I'm not certain on this, but I think we lost 22 players at Georgia State uh, to, to Power 5 programs over the last two years, or the last three years, and, and that's, a, that's a huge amount. They were all really, really good football players, but uh, that, that had no, uh, no effect on me wanted to come back to the University of South Carolina or take this job. I was, I'm never a person that runs from a problem. I've always found a solution on how to fix it. So uh, that doesn't 
Uh, it didn't have any effect. Like I said, the most important, most important people in my life live here in the state of South Carolina, especially here in the Columbia area. And uh, ultimately, that is what I wanted in my life, and I needed to have that back in my life. What have you learned over these last seven years as a head coach that you're going to be able to bring back? And is head coaching after possibly your son and daughter are here at South Carolina doing what they're doing and you're here, is head coaching something you might want to experience again? You know, to answer your first question, what do you, what do you learn as a head football coach? Uh, you know, at Georgia State, it was, it was probably much different than it is here at the University of South Carolina. Uh, you know, you, you wore a lot of hats. You had to be a position coach. You had to coach special teams. You had to, you had to be involved in everything. We, uh, you know, we only had a staff of about really myself, 10 assistant coaches, five GAs, and uh, a couple other support personnel. We didn't, we didn't have a whole lot. So, you know, uh, it, it was kind of like being back at App State in the early years. You had to do more than what was expected. You had to go out and uh, I, I mean, I would take trash out. I would, I would vacuum. I would, I would do everything you can imagine uh, in being a head coach. But truly, the the number one, I the number one thing I think I, I'll bring back is is just ultimately how you how you involve yourself with with the in, the total team. I mean, from the long snapper to the to the punter to the quarterback to the secondary to your your linebackers. I mean, how do you how do you fit in all their lives? And, and, and that was something I had to I had to find out. How do you do? You know, uh, what conversations do you start? You know, the my head coach at Appalachian State, Jerry Moore, he he, he taught me probably the most important thing. And uh, he said, always keep a big old uh, box of candy or a big old jar of candy in your office, gum, chocolate, whatever it is. And that way it's going to bring everybody into your office. And once the word gets out that you've got the candy in your office, then, then they start filing in on a daily basis. So I did that. And he was exactly right. And so I started conversations with, with a different positional player each and every day. Uh, just understood what type of night they may have had, what type of situation they were in, what type of mood they were in, and it, it just led to a lot of different conversations. Uh, do I ever see myself being a head football coach? Uh, you know, I haven't even thought about it. Uh, I'm thrilled to be here as the tight end coach. If I, if I can end my career right here coaching the tight ends at the University of South Carolina, and trust me, I've got a long way to go. I'm still only 30 years old, so I've got a hell of a long career ahead of me. Uh, then, then I'm thrilled to death. But, uh, but ultimately, I, I'm as excited today uh, being here as, as the tight end coach at the University of South Carolina as I was when they named me the tight end coach at Appalachian State or the offensive line coach at Appalachian State or the day I walked in here to coach the offensive line at the University of South Carolina. This is a fantastic day. I'm thrilled to death. Uh, I couldn't be more excited to be here. And, and ultimately, I, I'm here to do one thing, and that's to make this football program better in every aspect of it. How much easier or how much more relieved are you going to be coaching now that you don't have that separation and distance between you and your family and you don't have to worry so much about missing important family events? Well, if last night's sleep was any indication, I went to bed. It was right around 10.15, and I didn't wake up until about 5.15 this morning. And I slept the entire night through. And uh, it was just... You know, it's different. I don't know if you've ever been separated from your family or not. Uh, and, and trust me, and I want everybody to know, we, we made that decision to leave our family here in Columbia and, 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 and go through the difficulties and sacrifices that you have. Uh, but just being back here, it's, it's incredible. Um, the relief, uh, knowing that, 
you know, whether or not I get to look at or, or speak to them before they go to school, but knowing they're going to be home at night and I'm going to walk in that door and the same thing. And, you know, there, there's, there's situations at home that you got to take care of. The heat went out, I think, Thursday night when I got back. And she, my wife says, uh, you're dealing with that. You know, I've, I've dealt with it for the last seven years. It's time for you to call somebody. Uh, but it's, it's just a really nice feeling. I think what surprised a lot of people was that your spring practice had started and then, you know, you resigned and, and come back here. What was it like for you to deal with that part of it, talking with uh, Mr. Cobb and, and then with your players when you made this decision to come back to South Carolina? Yeah, you know, uh, you set your calendar long in advance. And, uh, you know, you, we had our early spring practice plan just like we had done the year prior. And everything was on go. It was uh, unfortunate. I, I, I went into spring practice not knowing that this call was going to be made. Uh, had no indication whatsoever, and we were full speed ahead. It was uh, unfortunate that we had we'd gotten two days in, and uh, that we had to put a halt to it. But you know, there wasn't another way that uh, that I could have done it. And you know, we had we had not tough conversations with the staff and with our players. We had really good open conversations. And you know, I don't think I walked out of there with any one of those guys looking at me and saying, you know, why or this. They, I mean, it was more. Congratulations, hugs, thanks for everything you've done. Uh, support you in every way, families, everything, and and go be great. All right, there you go. Comments from the new tight ends coach, running game coordinator for South Carolina, Sean Elliott. And all of it's on our website, sportstalksc.com. Uh, South Carolina run rule, second consecutive game. Uh, they beat Winthrop 12-2, game called after – the uh, Gamecocks scored three runs, bottom of the seventh, to give them the ten-run advantage. So they win it twelve to two. Ty Good gets the win for the Gamecocks to go to one and zero. Now, Phil, real quick, yep. what was more impressive though, that or I'm seeing Chris Deering and then Lou Bajak retweeting that the play of the game goes to John Whittle. He apparently caught a foul ball that reached up into the press box, and this. Apparently, there's a stat being kept for that. Third time in Founders Park history. John has great hands, excellent mobility. He's really good going to his right. <laughs> so I'm not surprised. He's no. an athlete. He's an athlete from from way back. He's, you know, we're underrated uh, sportscasters, sports writers. We're underrated as athletes. That's right. I mean, we were all athletes at one time. All right. So don't discount our ability to catch a fly ball, to score a touchdown, to dunk a basketball. To hit a golf ball, to stop a hockey puck, to drive a race car. So that or the 10-run rule? What was more impressive today? The 10-run rule. (laughs) (laughs) It probably hit at his feet and he picked it up. Be back in a moment. Welcome back to Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. You can reach the guys with the South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number. 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now back to Phil, Chris, and Pat with the second hour of Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. All right, busy, busy Tuesday night. Thank you for being with us here on Sports Talk across the state. Sports Talk Media Network. Phil Kornbluth, Pat Daniel here in Columbia. All right, once again, the baseball finals. USC beats Winthrop 12-2-7. Clemson beats PC 8-2. Coastal has beaten Wilmington 7-2. And Wake Forest, number one team in the country, they do lose to Greensboro this afternoon by a final score of 4 
to three. So in baseball, you just never know. UNCG takes down Wake Forest four to three. All right, big day up at Furman as the administration up there announced major renovations to Timmins Arena where they uh, play their basketball games. It's a beautiful building on the outside. I don't know if it's ever been quite suited for basketball. They're going to change that in a big, big way. We welcome Furman Vice President for Intercollegiate Athletics, also known as the Athletics Director. Makes it easy for me. Jason Donnelly, back to Sports Talk. And Jason, great to have you with us. How are you? Hey, Phil. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, great to be on with all of you. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Big day, as I mentioned, $40 million all brought in by by donors who stepped up to the plate for you and are going to get this done. How exciting a day was this for you guys up at Furman? Yeah, this was a great day. Huge moment for Furman. Um, $40 million donor-funded renovation at Timmins Arena. And, and as you said, the, the outside of the building – um, it is really nice. Campus is beautiful, uh, but the inside of the building was built as a multi-purpose facility back in the 90s, so it's never really been what we've needed to be to portray excellence when it comes to basketball. And the focus of the $40 million will be uh, the entrance of the building, the interior of the building. Uh, we've already completed $3 million worth of renovations of locker rooms, offices, and, and all of this is intended to put Furman in the class that needs to be uh, competitively, and if you look at the peers that we have around the state, whether it's Clemson, South Carolina, or if you're talking about the mid-major programs that have made major investments, you look at Wofford, you look at High Point, you look at College of Charleston, uh, Davidson, any any of the schools, Elon, that are in this region, um, in order to keep up, we've got to do these things, continue to be competitive with our basketball program. Looking at the artist rendering you guys put out, it, it looks awesome. I mean, it, re- it looks really sweet. <laughs> uh, what will the capacity be when you're done? Yeah, the capacity is going to be 2750, and uh, it's a number that we're really comfortable with. We've had a capacity of roughly 2500 uh, over the last several years. We've gotten to the point of selling out those games. Uh, we've got a huge game coming up at Wofford this upcoming weekend. We're already sold out for that Saturday game. Uh, and to us, the size is not really the focus in terms of getting bigger. Uh, we've got a great relationship with the Bon Secours Wellness Arena downtown uh, that also hosts the NCAA tournament games in state in Greenville. And we will still play games that, that have a larger size. If we're going to draw close to seven, eight, nine thousand, ten thousand 10,000 fans, uh, we'll still continue to play games downtown. But on court, 2750, uh, every detail will be touched. It'll be first class uh, for our students, for our recruiting, uh, for our revenue production, all those different things. So uh, the size and scale will be what it is, but the amenities and all the fixtures from the inside out will be first class in every way your architect that you mentioned in your release uh he's been involved with some some major works uh in the uh, area of arenas across the country will this new look will it be unique to Furman, or or is he going to be basing it off of some other work he's done in the past yeah the the, the look is going to be unique to Furman, but Ken Betch, who is the architect, who's here out of Greenville, has done a phenomenal job. He did, if, if you're familiar with Charleston's TD Arena, and uh, did a great job there um, in, in a space that was really challenging uh, relative to what you need to do from in, in an urban environment inside the city. Uh, and there'll be elements of that. You'll see a full concourse that will go 360 degrees around. Uh, that's not something that we have now. But um, all the different amenities and elements have been part of a study that we've done when we've looked at our, our peers. We, we've looked at Charleston. We've looked at Wofford. We've looked at Elon. We've looked at Davidson. And the, 
the feel inside the building will be very firm. You know, it's going to have, you know, courtside seats for the first time. It's going to have premium boxes for the first time. It's going to have donor hospitality spaces that don't exist to date. But at the end of the day, the one thing our, 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 our alumni and our donors wanted, we already have a great home court advantage. We've got a, a great coach. We've got great energy in the building. Uh, we've got loyal fans, season ticket holders that have been with us for a long time. The number one thing we're going to keep is that atmosphere of energy. But all the touches that take place around that arena that, that not only serve our recruiting efforts, our retention efforts, you know, our student on-campus engagement efforts, but also the revenue efforts is a real big push. Uh, this is going to allow us to take the next big, next big step forward as an athletic department. Will it still be a multi-purpose building for things like concerts or anything else like that, or do you want it strictly to be used for your for your basketball teams, or I mean, I guess does you know maybe volleyball plays in there? I'm not sure about that. What's going to be yeah. the use of the building? Primarily basketball. So you're you're going to see um, a multi-purpose facility that will be a basketball arena, and I, you know, one of the, the challenges with Timmins Arena for those that have been in it, they know that. It's it's got a stage and was set up to be kind of an amphitheater um, to host concerts and different things and orchestras and symphonies. Um, that won't be the focus going forward. The, the focus will be, you know, primary for our men's women's basketball down the road. We envision volleyball that being their home court at some point. They've got a great structure right now, but down the road we'll bring them in, and uh, we will do some events in there. We'll do all, all kinds of different things, but it'll be primarily. For basketball, we, our number one focus has got to be uh, our team. Our, our coach Bob Ritchie led our men's team to Southern Conference Championship last year. You know, NCAA tournament win over Virginia. They are going exactly the direction that we want them to go in, and this is going to support their success. And similarly, we want to have our women's program, led by Pierre Curtis, have the same ability to rise as a program. And um, our athletic programs are doing incredibly well. We've got. Basketball winning Southern Conference Championships and football winning Southern Conference Championships and our Olympic sports winning Southern Conference Championships. We want to keep that focus, and this arena will be focused on basketball. Visiting with Jason Donnelly, AD, at Furman for a a couple of more minutes. Will it remain Timmons Arena, or as part of the donations, is another name going to go on inside? Great question. This is a really unique situation that we have a historical legacy building uh, with the Timmons family, uh, with the Pelham family, and uh, this this goes back to the 90s. And um, the lead donor, Ravenel Curry, who is a Furman alumnus, a Furman trustee, in a very generous and unselfish way, cares enough about the Timmons family that with his donation, he asked us to continue the Timmons name on the building. And uh, it's a really unique situation that a donor who really respects the history and tradition, the legacy of the building and the Timmons family, made this donation with the understanding that the family would continue to have their name. Um, he also asked that in that donation that the Timmons family and other families donate as well to support that, uh, and they have answered that. They have also donated at a high level uh, along with several other people. There was 10 uh, gifts of a million dollars or more, 31 six-figure gifts. So it's just been an incredible fundraising effort, but it's really it's really remarkable to have a lead donor who cares more about Furman and the legacy and history in this case than he does about having his name on something, and we're, we're eternally grateful to Ravenel for that. That's awesome. This has to be the highest of highs a few weeks from the lowest of lows with the death of Bryce Stanfield, one of your football players, uh, during spring practice. How are you folks uh, doing uh, 
just a couple of weeks removed from that. Um, and what what have you been doing related to that uh, since then? Yeah, I really appreciate you bringing that up. Um, our, the truth is we're all still hurting very much. And um, the swing in the motions in terms of making this announcement, we purposely waited to make this announcement till now. Uh, we wanted to wait till after our board meetings, and we were intending to make it next week, but there's going to be a memorial on campus for Bryce Stanfield and his family, so we wanted to move it up a week to get away from that to, to reserve some space. But um, I, I've been so moved by the response from the community, the state of South Carolina, the uh, schools around this area, Georgia, uh, everyone around this has come out in support Furman football, the Stanfield family. Um, there was a lot of there was a lot of hurt. There were a lot of tears. There were a lot of prayers. Uh, and I've just been so moved by the the impact of Bryce, you know, upon his teammates, upon our students, upon our community. And you, you've seen it all. You've seen the gamut of emotions with the team literally in his hospital room, conferring his degree with our president. Not a dry eye in the room. Oh. 150 people in the room. Um, with his parents' wishes, that's what they wanted to see him graduate. You see the following day, a voluntary lift where all of our athletes who were on campus went into the, the weight room and lifted in sets of nine and seven for his 97, honoring Bryce, being in there, you know, recovering together that energy, and then prayer vigils with our students and our coaches and our department. But uh, the one thing that I've seen through this is that, that Bryce's loss has really pulled this community together. And uh, it just shows you the beauty of, of being an athlete, being a part of a team, uh, being as special a person as Bryce Stanfield was. And we, we know how much we're going to miss him, but we're, we're still hurting a lot in this community for him and for his family. That's certainly understandable. I mean, the entire state was shocked. So I'll end it with this. I wouldn't be doing my job talking to the Furman AD if I didn't ask this question right here at the beginning of baseball yeah. season. Any conversations yeah. taking place anywhere with the administration, boosters, et cetera, to return baseball to Furman? Yeah, it, it's the hardest conversation we go through. You know, you go back to 2020 and COVID, and we had to go through a series of cuts. We were asked to cut 25% of our budget in response to re- reductions in enrollment on campus. And um, and I get it. It's, it's one of the hardest things you go through um, when you have to look at reducing your profile and you cannot – make any changes on the women's side because of Title IX and where we stood there. Um, losing baseball has been the deepest cut that we've had as a department um, and arguably as a university in recent years. Uh, part of the process where I'm excited is that, you know, we've had conversations internally that at some point after this Timmons project got done that we could review and discuss baseball again in the future. Mm. Uh, we have had conversations about what that would look like. We've had conversations about how that might fit. And then there would have to be some strategies that would fit around it um, it's not on the table at the moment. There, there's other pressing issues for the university when it comes to budget, when it comes to enrollment. Uh, but we've left the field in, intact. We've left the facility intact. Um, there's certainly something we would love to entertain, uh, but it will be a process for us at Furman to figure out how to go about that financially um, and from a donor standpoint and just strategically. But it's something we're certainly open to and conversations have taken place. But the conversations have not been enough that we're ready to move forward with anything or do anything in a big way. Just internal conversations with leadership, and that's kind of where it stands at the moment. Well, at least you're talking. That's the main thing. You are. We yeah, are. At least we, you're talking. We love our baseball alumni. We know how hard that is. And um, the reality of the situation in terms of where we were as an institution and where we are today, 
we've made significant strides. And I do think that the confidence when you look at a $40 million donor project around basketball shows a pathway both for our donors and for our administration to what could be a successful resolution in the future. Um, but it's something that's going to take some time, and there's, there's a lot of hurt feelings that are there around that. Uh, but we would be incredibly happy to have another press conference in the future and, and talk about that becoming a reality. It's not on the table at the moment, but down the road, we certainly would consider it. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations on what you're getting done with Timmons. Uh, good luck with everything in the future. And what you said, I mean, yes, Furman Athletics at a very high point right now. Uh, credit to you, the coaches, the players. So continued success, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks for the time. Thank you very much. Jason Donnelly, Vice President, Intercollegiate Athletics, AD, at Furman University. And a big day at Furman with the announcement of $40 million in renovations to Timmins Arena. It is a beautiful building. If you've never been up there, it's a beautiful building from the outside. As he mentioned, it was built for concerts. In fact, there was a lot of complaints. They've done other renovations to try to remedy the situation inside the building because they had seats that weren't even angled towards the court they were angled towards the stage so that made for some problems early on but they've worked on that over the years now they're going to go big time and make it into a a nice basketball facility so congrats to the Furman people for getting that done okay gonna hit the break here when we come back we are going to talk to Mike Foster South Carolina Football Hall of Fame they've been busy inducting a new class, and also today naming Xavier Leggett's South Carolina, the winner of the Blanchard Rogers Award, goes to the State College Football Player of the Year. We'll visit with him after this break. And coming up, we'll talk NASCAR with Josh Harris from Darlington, plus recruiting. George Bryan here for Tsunami Bar Sports, and some say the fun is in the winning. I say the fun is in the training. And Tsunami Robbie, what do you say? George, we all know you get more done when you're having fun. This technology is different, it's engaging, but it's also a lot of fun to use. Hi, this is Phil Kornblut. Be sure to click on the digital ad on sportstalksc.com and get 5% off any Tsunami Bar order using promo code BBB5. Don't wait, order today. Last year was a big year for Founders Federal Credit Union and our amazing members. A total of $30 million was given back to qualifying members in the form of loyalty bonus dividends, proving once again that it pays to be a Founders member. Founders is also committed to pouring time and resources into the local communities we serve. If you aren't a member yet, what are you waiting for? Join Founders today. Visit foundersfcu.com. Federally insured by NCUA. Membership qualification required. This is Lisa Hostetler-Brown. If you or a loved one are over 65 and haven't completed a long-term care planning consultation, now is the time. Did you know that if you aren't able to afford the high cost of skilled care, your assets can be rapidly depleted to only $2,000 unless you plan five years in advance? Visit LawyerLisa.com to see how we can help. 7511 St. Andrews Road, Irmo, South Carolina. You've put in the work for your education. The extra early, extra late, extra, extra work. That's because you understand education opens doors to better pay, better opportunities, and a better you. Being educated about playing the lottery is no different. It helps you be a better player, one who knows when to play and when to take a rain check. 
The lottery's a game, so let's keep it fun. Learn more at sceducationlottery.com slash better you. Thanks again to Jason Donnelly from Furman joining us tonight here on Sports Talk. Let's keep it in the upstate. Back in Greenville once again, we welcome Mike Foster. No stranger to Sports Talk from the South Carolina Football Hall of Fame. They've been really busy naming their new class last week and today announcing the winner of the Blanchard Rogers Award as the top player in college football in South Carolina for the 2023 season. It was Xavier Leggett, outstanding receiver, from South Carolina. Mike, welcome in. You guys have been full of news here recently. Yes, sir. What's going on, Phil? It's good to be on. It is. Great to have you with us. And tell us about today's announcement for Xavier Leggett, South Carolina. Yeah. Winner of that award. And tell people how he ended up winning that award. Yes. Uh, well, we, of course, look at, uh, and watch uh, this whole collegiate season. And then we put out. Uh, I think this year we put out about uh, seven or eight finalists for that award based on their accomplishments during the season and then uh, goes out to a public vote uh, for for fans and media alike. And uh, and uh, we, we came up with uh, Xavier Leggett, who had maybe arguably the, the second best uh, wide receiver year in South Carolina football history which isn't too bad uh, given uh, the wide receivers that have come out of Columbia in their history. And uh, we're glad to have him. This will be our second year in a row that we've gotten a a South Carolina-made wide receiver. Last year was Jalen Hyatt, and then, of course, this year, Xavier Leggett from Mullins High School. So it's pretty – that's kind of fun to be able to get some of that homegrown talent – and showcase them a little bit. Was it a tight competition? Do you have an actual list of the voting? Who was also in the in the hunt there, if you can share it with us? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I can't necessarily tell you uh, voting uh, procedures or anything like that because that's confidential to the organization. But uh, he was going up against uh, the likes of uh, Jeremiah Trotter, with Clemson and, and Nate Wiggins from Clemson, uh, and then uh, uh, USC's uh, Spencer Rattler, uh, and then we also had uh, Quincy Riley, who played for uh, Louisville, a uh, cornerback for Lu- from Louisville, uh, but he's a South Carolina-born player, as well as Jordan Birch, which uh, people are familiar with him around here, but he's out at Oregon, and then uh, we had Travis Blackshear as well, uh, who who had a uh, FCS All-American type season at Furman, mm-hmm. and of course Furman had a great season this year as well. So we had those guys, and then uh, Lubert Dinellis as well from Benedict, uh, the D2 school out of Columbia. There uh, had a uh, finished up his second straight All-American season and Defensive Player of the Year in his conference. So. Uh, that's IAC. So he's, he was also in the mix as well. All right. Now your 
Hall of Fame class you announced earlier this month. Terry Allen, Ben Coach, Harold Green, Stump Mitchell, Jimmy Satterfield. That's a great class. Every one of these uh, individuals, uh, tremendous in uh, high school or college in South Carolina, and then, of course, uh, in the NFL. And uh, yep. what what about this group you're bringing in? This will be group number what? So this will be our 11th uh, annual uh, enshrinement. So our 11th class, we we uh, had to skip a year for COVID mm-hmm. in 2020. We didn't have an enshrinement class. And so that's why it's the class 23, not class 24. And that's why we're at 11 instead of 12. So uh, we, our first year was 2013. That was our first class uh, in our history. But we're really excited about this one, uh, Phil. And as you mentioned, all these guys have had a significant impact on the fo- on the game of football here in South Carolina, whether uh, coaching like Jimmy Satterfield, who won a national championship with Furman, and also a very significant high school coach as well there in Lexington and uh, other, a couple other high schools there in, uh, in the Columbia area. And then, of course, you have uh, ended up being a, kind of a heavy running back class uh, with Harry Allen, and uh, Stump Mitchell and Harold Green, but mm-hmm. all of them had a very significant impact uh, at their schools, uh, the Citadel, USC, Clemson, and uh, of course Stump has been a long-time NFL coach as well, uh, just recently with the Browns, so he's been around for a long time, and, and uh, he was drafted in the same year as George Rogers, and he was one of the so, you know, you had him at the Citadel at the same time as George Rogers there at USC here in the state. So it's really exciting. And, of course, Ben Coates was an all-90-decade NFL-type player uh, for the Patriots, uh, arguably one of the best tight ends uh, in, in the 90s uh, in the NFL. And uh, he's, of course, from Greenwood High School, and, and he played – at Livingstone College, a D2 school in North Carolina. So uh, it doesn't matter necessarily where you're from. Mm-mm. They'll find you, and uh, we get a chance to celebrate their career. And uh, with the addition of Xavier Leggett, we got quite a crew uh, to be coming out on April 18th at the Hotel Harkness this year in Greenville, South Carolina. That is located where? Hotel Harness is in Greenville, but it's kind of on the uh, in the Pelham Road area out there in 14, okay. Pelham Road 14 there area, um, and uh, um, it's kind of, it's not too far away from the Top Golf there in Greenville off of Pelham and uh, in the highway there. So uh, it, this is going to be a new uh, place for us. Uh, this year, but we're excited about it. We think it's a great facility. Uh, it's only been going for a couple of years now, so uh, it's got a lot of potential, and I think it's gonna it's gonna treat our our honorees our honorees really well at this year. Well, we look forward to being there April 18th, Mike. As always, good talking to you. Keep pumping out the good stuff from the Hall of Fame there, and we'll talk to you again around uh, induction time. Sounds good, Phil. Thanks for the time. Appreciate it. You got it, man. Thank you. Mike Foster up in Greenville, South Carolina. 
Football Hall of Fame. Appreciate that. Okay, one race is in the books. It was a wild one at Daytona. Josh Harris from Darlington joins us after the break. Then recruiting. Welcome back, everybody. It's Sports Talk on a very busy Tuesday night. We've covered baseball. We've covered some basketball. We've talked some football. We've got recruiting coming up. Right now, though, it's time to turn our attention to NASCAR as we've got the season off and running after uh, the Daytona 500, which was delayed by the weather on Sunday. Turned out to be a glorious day at Daytona yesterday, and the race lived up to the billing there at Daytona, as it always does. Welcome in the president of Darlington Raceway, Josh Harris, to Sports Talk once again. Mr. President, how are you? Doing great. Just got back to South Carolina earlier this afternoon after being in Daytona for about a week, and uh, glad to be home. I bet. You saw a good one. I mean, it's a shame they couldn't run it on Sunday, but you can't do anything about Mother Nature, and everything turned out beautiful yesterday, and I think the race with all the lead changes and the drama at the end, exactly what you expect at Daytona. Yeah, it's unfortunate that uh, Mother Nature didn't cooperate on Sunday, but certainly it was well worth the wait. It was a beautiful day yesterday down in Daytona. Sun was out from about 10 a.m. on, and uh, I've got a red face to prove it. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, the racing was great. Those guys really seemed to, you know, I think that extra 24 hours of waiting really got them energized, and I think we saw one of our better um, races at the Daytona, Talladega, Atlanta-style tracks that we've had in the last few years. What about? Uh, it was fun to be there. I was going to ask you about that end. You know, William Byron comes away with the victory, and like so many wins at Talladega and, and Daytona, just being in the right place at the right time and just figuring out a way to stay out of the way when something bad happens around you. You know, that's that's really the the name of the game there. It's, you got to put yourself in a great position. It's not all luck, though. Those guys, you know, it's tremendous skill to put yourself in position and make sure that, you know, you've got to last all 500 miles. You can't win it in the first, you know, 20 laps, but you can certainly lose it in the first 20. So I thought it was a, a great ending, you know, coming right to the line to take the white flag and, you know, unfortunate situation with the, with the caution that came out. But, you know, they followed the rule book, went back and looked at it, and Byron just got ahead of his teammate, Alex Bowman. Yeah. And, you know, the Chevrolets – like earlier in the week, it was like, where were the Chevrolets? Well, they showed up when they needed to show up, and that was on race day. They sure did. It was uh, it was interesting because, you know, the last probably six or seven years, Hendrick Motorsports has sat on the pole there for the Daytona 500 and really shown a lot of speed in qualifying. Uh, but they haven't won, I don't think, since 2014 when Dale Jr. won. So this year it was a little bit uh, tails, you know, turned around a little bit, and they – showed that, you know, maybe they didn't have the qualifying speed, but they certainly had the race speed, and they were there when it mattered. You know, Chase Elliott picked up a stage win in stage one, uh, and then their guys were there at the end, and they were in prime position. Anybody outside the norm really impress you with the way they handled 
the race and uh, maybe their finish or maybe the way they avoided the big wrecks just to be around? Any Anybody that's not a name name kind of catch your eye in this Daytona 500? Well, I think there were two, you know, there for uh, a little while, A.J. Allmendinger was up there leading the race for college racing, which I thought was good. And then, you know, Corey LaJoy, Corey had a, a big sponsorship with Chili's, uh, had a national sponsorship, a, a national commercial as part of that. It was always great to see a new brand in the sport. And uh, Corey led, led some of that race. He raced well with Denny Hamlin. They swapped the lead back and forth. And, you know, then he, I think he ended up finishing fourth. So, uh, the Spire Motorsports team, you know, continuing to build on some prior, you know, little success, and that was a that was a big uh, finish for them. Visiting with Josh Harris, president of Darlington. So I was thinking about this uh, the other day after not watching the NBA All Star Game because it's a joke, and hearing all the complaints <laughs> about it, and then you put that on top of what the NFL All Star Game has become, and what Major League Baseball's All-Star Game is becoming and the National Hockey League where they only skate three-on-three for their All-Star Game, etc. In other words, those leagues have pretty much allowed their All-Star events to become uh, farces, not even close to what the competition is like in a, in a regular season. And I'm thinking, you know, the NASCAR All-Star Race, despite the gimmickry that they've added to it, at least when these guys are on the track, they're racing hard and they're racing for a win. And my point is to you, and I know that you're going to be obviously uh, one-sided on this with your thinking, but it appears to me that the NASCAR All-Star Race is the only All-Star event in major sports that's real anymore, where there is actual competition where guys are trying to beat each other from the very beginning and – I think that's a plus that NASCAR could play up like, hey, our all-star game, at least it's real versus the rest of these clowns. Yeah, whether it's, you know, the all-star race itself or the uh, the clash to start off the season, I think anytime you put a, some prize money and a checkered flag out there, the NASCAR Cup Series, the Xfinity Series, the Craftsman Truck Series, these guys, they go hard after it. It doesn't matter what, what, it, what event it is. And so... I'm I'm excited. I think our all-star race going back to North Wilkesboro is going to be another great event. You know, um, second year getting back on there. I think they've repaved the track. But, yeah, certainly something we can hang our hat on at NASCAR that our guys aren't just out there, you know, throwing alley-oops and seeing how many points they can score or how many times they can swap the lead. Regardless of the format, they're they're going hard at it and uh, going after that competition, which is, which is what we want to see. All right, now coming up at Darlington, you guys – Announced today, you've got some uh, laps for charity coming up here soon. Give us the details on that. Yeah, so we'll do um, a couple of these throughout the year, but our first one's going to be Saturday, March the 2nd, and it'll be from 11 to 2. So if you've ever wanted to drive your car around the track too tough to tame, Hmm. uh, come on out that day. We're going to be raising funds for Child and Family Resources Foundation over in Hartsville. Um, We usually pair up with a different charitable organization each time throughout the year. So this will be our first one, $25 per car, gets you three to four laps around the track. We'll pace you around, but um, mm-hmm. it's a great way to come out, give back to the local community while also um, pretty unique experience. And if you ask me and being able to take your car uh, around the lady in black. Oh, I got to be honest with you now. I've done that a couple of times, maybe three times. 
I usually squeeze out about five or six laps before they red flag me. Um, but it is a heck of a lot of fun. I mean, people, you can you can pretty much drive. I'm, I'm not going to say you can drive as fast as you want to. I don't think you want people out there turning laps at 120 miles an hour. But you can get on the gas a little bit, right? Yeah, well, you know, there, there's probably some tricks to the trade that uh, that, I, that I can't necessarily come right out and say. But surely you, you can get out there and have, have a good time. We don't want anybody getting Darlington stripes. We want to leave that to the professionals. Um, but come out, have a good time, and and always certainly you know a good opportunity to give back to the community. Well, you do make people sign their lives away before they go out there, so you're covered. <laughs> That's right. Got to sign that waiver. Got to got to make sure we're all buttoned up there. Get our eyes dotted and our T's crossed and. You can go out there and have a little fun, and if you enjoy it, you can do it again. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I recommend it to everybody. I mean, it's I'm not going to say it's a once-in-a-lifetime deal because you can do it multiple times, but once you do it, you'll want to do it again and again because it's you get the experience what the guys in the cars get to experience. You get to drive up into that turn and see that wall come at you, and it does take your breath away. I have to admit, whether you're going 20 miles an hour, 50 miles an hour, the walls come up on you very quick there if you if you let yourself get up in the uh, in that turn a little bit. Yeah, if you you get too close, you certainly start to feel it. And uh, I will say another part about this this upcoming uh, track laps, we're going to have our friends from Stock Car Classics there, so they're going to be there early in the morning. Uh, we'll have a little private session with them doing some laps. But the cool thing is they've got some old historic stock cars that they're going to bring. They'll be on display. Uh, in the garage and so whether you want to check it out beforehand or after after you take some laps you come over there and check out some of their uh old historic stock cars which are always fun to see that's fantastic okay let's make sure the the phones are ringing there in the ticket office how are things coming along i know you got a little bit of time uh before may gets here but it'll be here before you know it and how are things looking as you uh are selling those tickets for the race in may the throwback weekend well, we're certainly looking forward to throwback weekend. Um, it's going to be here before we know it, probably right around 80 days at this point, a little more than 80 days, we'll be welcoming campers. Uh, we still still have some tickets available, but I know they're going to go fast. Um, so certainly check us out at DarlingtonRaceway.com. That's probably the easiest way to go on there. Um, check it out, see what you want. Or if you want to talk to one of our ticket agents, just give us a call at 866 459 Seven two two three. Josh, it's been a pleasure. Welcome back to the States. Talk to you again next week. We go racing in Atlanta this weekend. Hopefully they'll have good weather and have a great race there. That's a fast track. I always enjoy racing at, uh, at Atlanta. So we'll talk about that with you next week. Thank you, sir. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, Atlanta did a little reconfiguration uh, a couple of years ago. They've, they've now a drafting track similar to Talladega and Daytona. So might see some of the same names up there and look forward to re- recapping it next week with you guys. Thank you, Josh. Take care now. All right. Thanks. Thank you very much. Josh Harris, president, Darlington International Raceway. I think they dropped the international. Darlington Raceway. Appreciate Josh being with us. Great stuff from him. And looking forward to visiting with him throughout the season. Of course, Jeff Owens on Friday night gives us the insight going into the weekend of racing right here on Sports Talk. Okay, let's give you the recruiting report, shall we, tonight. Our recruiting report is brought to you by 
Seawells and Seawells. Uh, we have not given the menu this week. We'll do that in just a second. With uh, three days to go this week for the daily luncheon buffet, eleven to two at Seawells for only fourteen bucks. What you got? Tomorrow, Wednesday, February the twenty-first, Seawells will have fried pork chops, meatloaf, and baked flounder, which comes from where? Mom, the meatloaf and the flounder comes from the rocks of the Congaree. There you go. Very fresh. And then Thursday, oh, glad we're doing this. Seawells will actually be closed for a private event. Did you get invited? I did not. Never am. I'm never invited. Mm -hmm. One of these days. Kind of like an inside joke, you know. I hope to be a part of one someday. That'd be nice. Yeah. So Thursday, Seawells will be closed for a private event. Then Friday, to round out the week, will be a roast beef Friday. Shout out, Andy. Along with southern fried chicken and pulled pork. Okay, special events. That's what Seawells does better than anybody, and they host your special event, as you heard, or they'll come to your location. Just give them a call at 803-771-7385 online at SeawellsCateringSC.com. Okay, recruiting-wise, let's talk about defensive end Kobe Saki Pra, 6'3", 225, Roswell, Georgia. Saki Pra had not had any contact with South Carolina until he got a call from defensive ends coach Sterling Lucas mid-January, and he offered him. He was excited about it, of course. He's looked into South Carolina. He's never been there, so this was all kind of new. Saki Pra is a prototypical edge rusher, nine sacks last season, 89 tackles, 11 for loss, and he said that Lucas really loved his film, loves his length, loves how he plays all over the field. So they've got a good relationship starting to develop. Relationships are very important to him in his recruiting. That's going to be a big factor as he makes his decision. And he said that Lucas sounds like he really cares about his players, very committed to South Carolina. And they excited about him, and they want him to come in for a visit. His only January visit was to nearby Georgia Tech, and he plans to pick up the pace on that March and April. He said South Carolina will definitely get a visit this spring and an official visit in June. He said right now South Carolina, Mississippi State, Georgia Tech, Southern Cal, and USF are standing out the most to him. And those are the ones likely to get the spring visits and the summer official visits. He'd also like to make his decision by the end of June or early July. Looking for a place where he feels very comfortable, a place that feels like home, and a place where he has a good relationship with the coaches. Some other offers are Vandy, Duke, Wake Forest, Indiana, Minnesota, SMU, UCF, West Virginia, Arkansas, and Kentucky. His family heritage is Ghana. That's his background from the country of Ghana. Safety, Jadon Blair, Winston-Salem, has firmed up an official to USC May 31st. Linebacker Nathaniel Owusu Boateng of IMG Academy and Virginia confirmed his official to USC May 31st. Defensive end Tayshawn Austin has set his official with USC May 31st. Offensive tackle Kevin Wynn, who has USC in his top 10, was offered by Texas. Offensive tackle Matty Augustine of Greenwich, Connecticut, who had an offer from USC committed to Notre Dame. Linebacker running back Eddie Pino, 5'8", 185, T.L. Hanna committed to the Citadel. There you go with the recruiting report tonight, brought to you by Seawells. Okay, we got time for some calls. If you'd like to jump on board here in the final minutes, 
We've had to hold some people off. We got busy. Now we can take some calls to finish things out. If you want to be a hero, phone number 888-898-2525, 888-898-2525, South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number. Update some basketball. Missouri leading Tennessee 22-20, 3.58 to go first half. Syracuse, I mean, college basketball is just whack. It's just whack. NC State goes to Clemson and beats them. Now they're back at home. And they're playing Syracuse, and they're losing 55-39. to Makes no sense. Makes no sense. Just like Virginia Tech beating Virginia. Sure. They could play ten times, and it would. I bet Virginia would win the other, or at least eight, seven or eight of the other nine. Boston College and Florida State, FSU, is leading 39-38. Arkansas over Texas A&M, 31-25, late first half. The 9 o'clock game tonight on the ACC Network is Pittsburgh and Wake Forest. And let's see if there's anything else here that's of interest. Uh, Iowa leading Michigan State 45-33 in the Big Ten. Uh, Frank Martin and UMass leading VCU 38-26 at the half. UMass, if you're keeping an eye on Frank Martin, 16-9 overall and 7-6 in the A-10. So probably going to have to win their league tournament championship to get into the dance. Speaking of that, remember earlier we referenced Joe Lunardi releasing his new bracket, his updated bracketology today. Mm-hmm. Well, he has three South Carolina schools currently in the field. Clemson is a five seed, South Carolina is a seven seed, and then Kyle to Charleston as a fourteen seed. Interesting enough, he has all three in the same bracket. All are in the West or Los Angeles bracket, mm-hmm. playing their initial first couple of rounds differently. Of course, Clemson and Spokane. Uh, Charleston and Pittsburgh facing Duke. Clemson was going to face Samford. And South Carolina in Omaha against New Mexico. Yeah. None of that is good for the budget. No. no None of not. that is good, especially Spokane. Woo. Man, that would be an expensive trip to get out there. Um, there's Charlotte. Let's see. This is a year where we don't have a lot of – I mean, Charlotte is the only thing close to us – in the first two rounds. Um, Memphis is nine hours away. Pittsburgh's about nine hours away. Everything else is even farther away. So not good from the standpoint of the budget. Not good at all. I will say, looking at this, though, too, can't help but wonder about the bet you and uh, Coach Jim Toman have talking about a baseball team from the state making it to Omaha. Well, how does that's what I'm wondering. (laughs) Does does this count? Because it's got the Gamecocks in Omaha. Are you going to owe him a stake? (laughs) (laughs) Have to bring that up with Coach Toman. So the the bet is if the Gamecocks make it, I owe him a stake, or maybe he owes you. I don't recall. Well, that's okay because then Andy would owe me. Oh, there you go. So it would just be a wash. I'll take Andy's money and I'll use that to pay for Toman's meal. Will that pay for a tomahawk steak out of Omaha? That's going to be price of meat today, boy. That's going to be tough. All right, a few more notes to, to tell you about here before we say goodnight. Our poll question. We haven't mentioned our poll question of the week, and here we are finishing up a show number two of the week. Our poll question of the week. What do you think about this, Pat? So Gamecock football coach Shane Beamer has four new assistant coaches, wide receiver, tight ends, running backs, and special teams. What is your view of the impact by the newcomers on the team? A, a major upgrade, or B, not much difference. 342 votes, 70.2% say major upgrade, and 29.8% say not much difference. 
Well, first I'd like to point out, and I am not saying that I would select this, but interesting that there was not a major downgrade or downgrade option there, just upgrade or or not much I difference. I didn't want to be too negative. Got it. Understood. And in my mind, I, that's tough. I think I'm leaning more towards not much difference. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a I-need-to-see-it-to-believe-it type of guy. Uh, I will have a, probably a different answer after the month of September but I kind of need to see these coaches in action and see uh, see what happens actually out on the field. Now, this is not your exact question here, but if I'm going to choose between those four and which one I think will have the biggest impact on the team in 2024, I think it's the loss of Pete Limbo in special teams. That's the big one that I have circled. Just each of the years that he has been a part of this program, we have seen multiple games directly impacted by his special teams units, in particular the 2022 season, where there were, I believe, at least three games where the Gamecocks won directly as a result of incredible plays made by his special teams unit. Now, look, I get it. I know Shane Beamer has a terrific background in special teams as well, but I can't help but wonder what the effect will be of the loss of Pete Limbo on the team. And so for me, that is the biggest coaching change and what I think we need to circle going into the season. Good point, but I would say his replacement, Joe DeCamillis, He's terrific too. has a great reputation. He does. I don't know that he is the swashbuckler, you know, Limbo was that guy that always had you on your heels. Right. I don't know that D. Camillus is a guy that runs a lot of fakes, and um, he just obviously produces very solid special teams with good kickers and good coverage, which is what you ask for. Maybe he throws a wrinkle in there from time to time. Uh, we shall see on that. Uh, some breaking news here on the high school ranks as Tyler Cup who is a broadcaster up in the Rock Hill area but has worked in other areas, is reporting that the Kershaw County School District tonight approved the hiring of Leon Boulware to be the next football coach and AD at Lugolf Elgin. He was the coach at Louisville. He led the Lions to a 21-4 record in the uh, 25. That would be probably the last two seasons, 21-4, 25 games. Uh, last two seasons. So uh, Leon Bolwer to be the next coach there at Lugolf Elgin High School. Okay, what else we got for you here as we want to finish up with some of our other notes of the night? And give me just a second here. We'll take a look at some of these other things that we haven't touched on yet. We touched on that, touched on that. Um, Going into this week, the net rankings for the, uh, the teams in South Carolina. So Clemson, 27, USC 58, College of Charleston up to 116, Furman at 145, Winthrop at 157, Wofford at 182, Citadel 259, Upstate at 286, Presbyterian at 290, Charleston Southern at 320, SC State at 307, and Coastal Carolina at 322. Phil, I've got one last thought of the night here from a topic we touched on in the first half hour talking about how now it is official the 12 team playoff will be that five plus seven model and we went through a lot of the logistics but one thing we did not touch on and i'm seeing here there has not been a new television deal agreed upon yet Mm -hmm. well looking at the dates you have if i'm reading this right i mean you have five weeks of games yeah the first round starts december 20th and 21st but he plays all the way through the national championship this coming season will be january 20th in atlanta well, that's the second round of the NFL playoffs. I can't help but wonder. Usually you see college football and the NFL try to separate themselves and not infringe upon Saturdays or Sundays unless there's no college games. Then the NFL will do Saturdays. Or there's not an NFL game, maybe the NFL college will have a bowl game on a Sunday. How is this going to be negotiated 
amongst TV channels. Well, now keep in mind that they said the second round games will be part of the New Year's six bowl games. Which are already predetermined, I guess, to your point. Well, I'm, I'm sure they're going to say, you know, the winner of this game is going to go to this bowl. The winner of that game is going to go to that bowl. So what are the dates that you're saying? So we're talking New Year's Day in 2025 is going to be on a Wednesday. And that'll be the Orange, Rose, and Sugar Bowls. The Cotton Bowl, which is also part of the quarterfinals, will be December 31st. Okay. Then the Fiesta Bowl semifinal will be January 8th. The Peach Bowl will be January 9th. And then the Nash. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the wrong year. Scratch that. <laughs> December 20th and 21st of the first round. The Fiesta Bowl will be December 31st. The Peach, Rose, and Sugar will be January 1st. Then the Orange Bowl semi will be January 9th. The Cotton Bowl will be the 10th. The National Championship, January 20th. Okay. Well, those all fall on days that don't conflict with NFL games. Got it. Those are all weekdays. So there's no weekends involved there. That'll do it for us. See you tomorrow night from Atlanta. (laughs) 